Welcome, and thanks for tuning in to the Watermark OC Church Sunday Message. Watermark is a generational community that is crazy passionate about starting a conversation about God, your relationships, and authentic love. If you're interested in getting more information, please click the link in the show notes for next steps. Thanks again for listening. It's our hope and prayer that this message would transform your life. Good morning and happy Mother's Day, and a special happy Mother's Day to my mom, who's watching my kiddos, so I can be here this morning. So thank you, Mom. I love you. Um, This morning, we are going to talk about resurrection and the resurrection that can take place in our hearts and minds as we submit and surrender to God in the small and mundane and big and world-changing moments of our lives. Our passage this morning comes out of 2 Corinthians 4, and Paul is writing to the church in Corinth who is struggling at the time. In this chapter, he's talking about the trials he has faced and the life-changing work that can take place when we surrender and lean into these difficult moments. So read with me, um, hopefully they'll put it on the screen for us, um, in 2 Corinthians 4, 8 through 12. He writes, But we have this treasure in jars of clay to show that this all-surpassing power is from God and not from us. We are hard-pressed on every side, but not crushed, perplexed, but not in despair, persecuted, but not abandoned, struck down, but not destroyed. We always carry around in our body the death of Jesus so that the life of Jesus may also be revealed in our body. For we who are alive are always being given over to death for Jesus' sake, so that his life may be revealed in our mortal body. So then, death is at work in us, but life is at work in you. I love this. It's such a powerful picture. We literally carry around the gospel inside of us, the life-changing power of the resurrection. It's almost like we can't even explain this mystery. In these imperfect bodies that Paul refers to as jars of clay, we hold this incredible transformative heavenly power. And our bodies are fragile, right? They're not something we can put faith in. Ben and I were talking yesterday that it almost has snuck up on us how we're getting old all of a sudden. Um, I know we're not like that old, but we are getting old. Like in this past year, Ben has already injured his back twice during working out. Thank you. No, I'm just kidding. Um, And uh, I was like, Ben, now I'm going to have to be a single mom for a week with our nine children plus you. And have you ever seen a man who has uh, been injured or is sick? I can say these kind of things because it's Mother's Day, but... Um, It's true. Our bodies are fragile, and they're not something that we can put faith in. Yet God has given us this incredible gift to hold within them and to carry this death and resurrection. And Paul continues in verses 16 through 18. He says, Therefore, we do not lose heart, though outwardly we are wasting away, yet inwardly we are being renewed day by day. For our light and momentary troubles are achieving for us an eternal glory that far outweighs them all. So we fix our eyes on not what is seen, but what is unseen. For what is seen is temporary, but what is unseen is eternal. 
And I really believe these verses are a summary of our life's work. It talks about a mindset, a heavenly mindset, a resurrection mindset, to fix our eyes not on the seen, but the unseen, the eternal, to have an eternal perspective. And though our bodies are fallible and wasting away, to allow God to do his renewing and restoring through us. I believe we are called to this surrender in the small and big moments of life. Recently, Ben and I found out we are expecting, and we are so excited. We told our kids, we told our family, and a week later, we uh, started miscarrying, and it was painful, and our kids cried, and it was a struggle for our family. And I really, I was already preparing for this message when this happened, and I just was awakened to the fact of this um, trial we were going through was exactly what these verses were saying. There was literally a death happening inside of me, a death of a life, but also a death of a dream. There was also, though, a resurrection, a resurrection of surrender, a resurrection of trust in my heavenly Father. But I had to choose. We have a choice. In the trials we face in this life, we have a choice to surrender with open arms to our Father or to fight in anger and bitterness against the plan he is unfolding in our lives. So today, you may be angry because your dream of motherhood has not yet been fulfilled. Or you may be in pain because you've lost your mom or the relationship doesn't look the way you had hoped. And I just want to encourage you to surrender to our Father because I know and I believe and he says he is the restorer of our soul and he can awaken even the deepest and darkest pain and bring healing to the hardest parts of our hearts. And if we choose this path of surrender, Paul says, our light and momentary troubles will achieve for us an eternal glory that far outweighs them all, and we will be renewed day by day. At times in my own life and journey of motherhood, it has actually been the small and mundane daily tasks and daily surrender to God that has been the hardest. The dishes, the laundry, the diaper changes and discipline, the sickness, tantrums, and nursing babies, where God has been teaching and molding me, helping me to die to my selfishness and control and to surrender to the task he has appointed me to. I want to read a portion of an article called The Domestic Monastery by Ron Rollheiser that I think so beautifully highlights this. Carlo Corretto, one of the leading spiritual writers of the past half century, lived for more than a dozen years as a hermit in the Sahara Desert, alone with only the blessed sacrament for company, milking a goat for his food, and translating the Bible into the local Bedouin language. He prayed for long hours by himself. Returning to Italy one day to visit his mother, he came to a startling realization. His mother who for more than 30 years of her life had been so busy raising a family that she scarcely ever had a private minute for herself, I can relate to this, was more contemplative than he was. What this taught was not that there was anything wrong with what he had been doing and living as a hermit. The lesson was rather that there was something wonderfully right about what his mother had been doing, 
all these years as she lived the interrupted life amidst the noise and incessant demands of small children, he had been in a monastery, but so had she. What is a monastery? A monastery is not so much a place set apart for monks and nuns as it is a place set apart, period. It is also a place to learn the value of powerlessness and a place to learn that time is not ours, but God's. Hence, a mother raising children, perhaps in a more privileged way, even then a professional contemplative, is forced almost against her will to constantly stretch her heart. For years while raising children, her time is never her own. Her own needs have to be kept in second place, and every time she is turning her turning a hand, is reaching out and demanding something. She hears the monastic bell many times during the day, and she has to drop things in mid-sentence and respond, not because she wants to, but because it's time for that activity, and time isn't her own, but God's time. And this picture has been such a beautiful encouragement to me. And that's the point. Our time here is not ours, it's God's. And my prayer for us, the church, is that we will be willing to drop what we are doing mid-sentence and answer his call, to surrender to his work, submit to the treasure of his resurrection power, pick up his cross with joy so that we may look more like him and reflect his love to the hurting world. And these two women have done such a beautiful job of exemplifying surrender to me in this last year, and so I'm excited to let Anna share her story. Testing, testing. Hello. Okay. It's very bright up here. I wasn't expecting that. <laughs> um, okay. I felt pretty unworthy to share um, because in my walk until recently, I have just failed to have the resurrection mindset that Riley asked me to share about. Um, I feel like daily I crumbled before God, I doubted his power, his ability, and even his presence. And that's hard to admit as a Christian, but it's the truth. And I've been on this journey of seeking authenticity, and I had no idea how it would come to me. Um, looking back, I can see it clearly that he's been redeeming every single piece of my story, and my faith has become authentic because of it. Um, I'm in love with a Savior who walks through fire beside me and who vows to fight my battles and promises to never leave, even when everything hurts and the only way out is through. Um, when I was thinking about what I was going to share, God put um, Exodus 14, 14 on my heart, which says, the Lord will fight for you. You need only to be still. And I have been going to that verse a lot recently. Um, I think that's going to become one of the ones that I keep with me for a long time. I'll give you a short version of our story. Um, we had our first son, River, in September of 2016. We have another son who is two today named Finn, and we have a third son on the way, so pray for us. <laughs> um, River's this adorable little redhead, and we were completely smitten with him and in all that they let us leave the hospital with a child without any training or certificate or anything like that. Like, that's crazy. Um, immediately within weeks, I started struggling with nursing. I started booking appointments with lactation consultants. We had a tongue tie revised. Um, I was starting to ask the pediatrician tons of questions. I started turning my milk to pure fat by eating rice, beans, and butter by recommendation of the pediatrician. 
And it was very obvious that something was um, going on with River, that something was off. Um, he started dropping weight immediately after he was born, and we went down this crazy journey with him. He was not hungry, and when I say he wasn't hungry, I mean like almost ever. He would not take a bottle, and Lord knows we tried. Um, he would nurse for five to seven minutes at a time in the same chair, in the same room, and only if it was dark. So I was like, okay, this is great. A new mother only spends conservatively 1,800 hours in the first year nursing a baby. So I'll just live in this room and give up my life and feed this child. It's fine. Not depressing at all. <laughs> um, moving forward, we started solids at four months to try and stimulate weight gain for River, um, which just introduced this whole vomit factory world. He would projectile vomit up to 12 to 15 times a day. Um, we started seeing doctors of every kind. I would fit in multiple appointments week after week, going over the same information, the same story, ending in tears because I was constantly rejected over and over, told, it's your first baby, he'll eat when he's hungry, have you tried formula, have you tried cookies? You know, it's hard to feed a baby, maybe it's just severe GERD. I knew that it was something more than that. Um, in the first two years of River's life, I had taken um, him for blood samples and taken stool samples from home more than 30 times. Um, and if you've ever taken a kid for a blood sample, that's not super fun. It became very sad because at, at one point he would just put out his arm and it wasn't a big deal. Um, but nothing was giving us answers. And we eventually met a doctor who was willing to, a GI specialist who was willing to work through this until we found an answer. Um, I had come up with a way to feed River with a syringe, a teaspoon syringe, medicine droppers. So we would liquefied food and we'd add oil fats to it, um, powdered calorie boosters and the food. It sounds disgusting, it must have tasted disgusting. He hated it and it was obvious that everything we put in his little body hurt him and gave him pain. But we had to do it because we had to keep him from losing weight, we had to keep him alive and we didn't know what was going on. For every dis um, syringe that we gave him to, we had to majorly distract him and I'm talking like this took hours a day and I had no life outside of just trying to feed him to keep him alive. And um, you'd get done maybe 40 syringes or close to it, and he would throw up. And you'd have to clean it up again and have to start over. And you just feel spiritually and physically and emotionally wrecked. I started losing sleep because I became obsessed pretty early on with researching, just trying to find something that matched what River was going through. And the night before we got his diagnosis, I actually found it, and it was called gastroparesis. Um, it's a rare GI disease. I hate that word, but that's what it is. It's a dis-ease. Um, it's stomach paralysis. So basically the vagus nerve, which is one of the major nerves in the body, it's called your traveler nerve. It touches most of your organs in the body. For unknown reasons, it doesn't work on the stomach. And so it causes pain, it causes early satiation, and it causes um, vomiting. And... Um, it's, uh, his stomach doesn't basically contract to move food into the intestines at a regular speed. So uh, we found out later from multiple endoscopies that he also had a hernia above his throat that was housing acid and that his stomach was completely lined with bleeding ulcers. So it just, as a parent, just tears you apart to like know that your kid's in constant pain and you can't do anything about it and you have to feed him to keep him alive. The next morning, we got the diagnosis of the call that, um, we got a call with the diagnosis that I had found the night before, and the words that were used to describe his diagnosis were chronic, idiopathic, meaning we don't know why, 
no cure, surgeries, feeding tube. These were the words that were used to describe his condition. I hit rock bottom. I watched my husband, Josh, immediately turn his eyes to God. I was so mad at God. And I watched Josh daily studying scripture and praying over our son and speaking words of life over him. But it definitely took me a while longer to get to that point. During one of the dreaded syringe feeds, I was almost done, and he vomited again for the 10 or 12th time that day. And I fell on my face to the ground, and I screamed out to God, where are you? I may have also used a bad word, but <laughs> um, the river at that point, <laughs> covered in vomit, and me with red splotchy face and tears coming down my eyes, he walked over to me, and I swear, like God put on River's skin in that moment, and River held me in his tiny little chest, and he said, it's okay, Mom, I love you. And it changed everything for me that moment. Um, I was standing in the presence of God, and there was no, no doubting that at all. And my faith began this journey towards authenticity. And I will never forget that day for as long as I live. Um, it was then that I realized that this, like every sacrifice that I could make for my son River was worth it. Because this was the holy work that God had chosen me to do for his river. These experiences shaped River, too. This little 18-month-old boy started studying scripture. He learned the verse, by his stripes, I am healed. And he would mutter that in a little 18-month-old voice. And every time still he's, he's feeling pain, he immediately reaches out and asks for us to pray for him. I can't imagine how that'll shape his life, having such faith at such a young age. <sighs> just makes me think that we are forged in the fire. This is God's refining fire, and that's one of the ways that metal is refined, that God, God himself allows us to walk through the fire, and his goal is to transform our hearts into something that looks more like his, and to trust him and have a resurrection mindset, to trust him that if he allows it, he will use it all, every single little piece. Um, in, a, in a study I was reading this week, it says that in the fire, he will burn any earthly thing that you still cling to. So it is a guarantee that we will go through fire in our lives. And until we let go of those earthly things, it will come again and again and again until his work is done in us. It's between you and him. In Romans 5.3.5, um, it says, Not only so, but we also glory in our sufferings, because we know that suffering produces perseverance perseverance, character, and character, hope. And hope does not put us to shame because God's love has been poured out into our hearts through the Holy Spirit who has been given to us. And it won't feel like you're glorying in your sufferings when you're going through it. And it doesn't, that verse does not say it won't hurt and you won't feel like you're dying and falling apart. And the Bible doesn't say God won't give you what you can't handle. It says he won't leave you in it. Um, I think we need to be careful saying that to Christians. Like God won't give you anything you can't handle. He says he'll be there with you. Romans 8.26 says, In the same way the Spirit helps us in our weakness, we do not know what we ought pray for, but the Spirit himself intercedes in us through wordless groans. I think that speaks for itself. We don't always need to know what to pray, but we just need to reach out to God. And the last one I want to share is Romans 8.28. It says, And we know that in all things God works for the good of those who love him and who have been called according to his purpose. I think this is just a reminder to trust in your suffering 
and to know that if he allows it, he will use it. Um, when God puts someone in your path, it's because he's trusting you to do the holy work, to be inconvenienced by it. And his provision is always in his assignment. Someone spoke that to Josh and I, and I will never forget that. His provision is always in the assignment for you. There will be trials in our lives that's guaranteed, and God promises to be with us in it. And you will feel weak. And God says, let me be your strength. And you might say, but I can't do this alone. And he's there saying, like, I never asked you to. Just reach out for me. So are my sacrifices making me more like Jesus? Um, not at first, and definitely I think I get this wrong more days than I get it right, but after a lot of pressing and pruning and refining, I think I've finally realized the benefit of leaning on God and his strength instead of my own. And this happens in the moments of getting out the door, which how the Applebee's do it with nine is like nothing short of miraculous because I'm struggling with two. Um, I think it's just a reminder for me that having a God-sized perspective instead of an Anna-sized perspective, which is very small, helps me to know that every little thing that I do for these little ankle biters is worth it, and, <laughs> and that it matters to God how we do it. So that's it. I just want to close with Isaiah 26.3. It says that you will keep in perfect peace those whose minds are steadfast because they trust in you. And the important thing there is the peace, but more importantly is the steadfast part because that is the peace that requires discipline of you. If you do not have the discipline of running to God's word or knowing God's word, then you don't get the gift of his peace. And I just want to encourage you to find a verse and run to it in your struggle. Have your verse and run to it in your struggle and then build from there. Thank you. Hello. Happy Mother's Day. Um, so uh, my husband is Brian, the six foot 11 Chinese guy. And um, he always makes the perfect shade for me when we're walking outside. Thank you. And um, we have two kids, Amber in fourth grade and uh, Tyler in third grade. And so Brian has a heart condition. So during COVID, mainly for his health, our family decided to be careful for him and to stay at home as much as possible. And just to give you an idea of how careful we were, after Brian and I got vaccinated, our family went to Palm Desert. And um, it was super duper hot, and so we didn't go out. And I was bummed for the kids, but then when we told them, well, you guys, today we're gonna go to Target. And they went, yay! And then, and then tomorrow to Walmart, and then eat at a restaurant, not takeout. And on our way home, we're going to go into Ralph's and pick up our groceries. And so, but they just were so excited that weekend. And um, living that way for a year was difficult, but I'm so glad that all in all, Amber and Tyler were fine, engaging in online schooling and picking up new ha uh, hobbies, and Brian was working from home. But of all the people in the family, I was the one that had the toughest time, and I was falling apart, um, just being as social as I am. And so I would see people here and there, outdoor walks and outdoor coffees, but then my social tank wasn't being filled. And so many times with my um, small group family, my prayer request would be, oh, I pray I don't get FOMO, fear of missing out on, because I know that my family members were getting together for meals and Brian's family members, and I just felt like missing out on family things as well. 
So by the time July came around, the isolation really got to me, and I found myself in a mild depression and just crying easily, and I just felt so unlike myself and so out of control. I'm so thankful, though, but in this um, difficult emotional year that God didn't waste it, and they taught me something about himself. And something about me is that I have a really strong aversion for trials and discomfort. When you're reading about that verse about trials and discomfort, I'm thinking, no, I don't, like, you know, just things like that, trials, I just flee away, run away from. And I tend to think catastrophically, like we have this 60-foot um, eucalyptus tree by our house, and sometimes at night I think, oh, what if it falls and lands, right, and, you know, in our bedroom in the middle of the night? And so I, I tend to think of things like that. So when the pandemic hit, it was really tapping into that catastrophic thinking with the unknowns, the protests, and, and the election year, and what's going to happen with my job, and when's there going to be a vaccine, and all those things. And so um, right at the start of COVID, it was the perfect timing. The Watermark women did a Bible study on solitude and silence. And in this, the author is talking about just learning to put some time aside um, and just to learn to rest in God's presence. And so since I had so much time, a gift from God, I tried to sit 10 minutes alone with God when I could, maybe just a few days a week, and, and just try to rest in him. And I was so glad when the author said, it's okay if you get distracted, but it's just important to just get into the regular habit. And so sometimes I would find myself getting into his presence and sometimes not, but just sitting before him was just so good for my soul. And I knew that all the time in the back of my head, I had this question about God, that if he was really there for me, and if God really has my back. And I felt really bad thinking this way, because I thought, oh, I've been a Christian for so many years, but, and, but yet I had had this doubt if he was really there for me. And so um, also another women's Bible study at Watermark that I did online was um, the power of God's names that we started in the fall by Tony Evans. And the name that really stood out to me was Jehovah-Rohi, the Lord is my shepherd. And when he was describing the sheep as timid and afraid, I thought, that is totally me. And the part that, I, that really stood out to me, one was um, when David says, the Lord is my shepherd, that it's not he was my shepherd or will be, but that he is every moment of every day. And also he's my shepherd, not he's, he's, he loves his whole flock, but he's also my personal shepherd. And in Jeremiah 23, 4, God says, I will raise up shepherds over them and they will tend them and they will not be afraid any longer, nor terrified, nor any will be missing. And I thought, if this is God's expectation of the shepherds to tend so that the sheep won't be afraid and terrified, that surely that's God's expectations of himself, that he doesn't want me to be terrified or afraid. And when I look back at my life, I could often see God stepping in, helping me through family crises with work and with family. But many times it was after the fact, after it was all over. I felt God during this past year when it showed me two, two potentially catastrophic things that I can look to, to see where he gave me that peace in the middle of the um, difficulty. And one is with our, our daughter, Amber. Um, back in the fall, um, 
Oh, or Amber, she has a, a rare genetic condition which increases her uh, risk for leukemia at eight time, eight time fold. And so we got her blood work done and there were some markers that were high. And sure enough, I did the bad thing. I looked up online, what could these markers mean? And one of them said it could be leukemia. And so um, the day before we were going to see the endocrinologist to hear about the results, God just gave me a peace before knowing what the results would be. And I really knew this was God because my natural worrying personality would not go there. I just felt that the Lord is my shepherd. And praise God, uh, her blood work turned out fine. She didn't have minor things, but nothing, she didn't have leukemia. And for the second event God used for me was, um, I don't know if you remember the, or the wildfires of Silverado back in October. And so over 60,000 residents evacuated. And uh, we were wondering, should we evacuate Evacuate. And then from my backyard, when I saw the hills start to catch on fire, I thought, we better go. And so um, on the way to the hotel, uh, a friend, Lisa Walter, she called, because she knows I think catastrophically, and she said, Paula, are you okay? And I'm so glad that God used her to call me as a total God thing, because he made me stop and think, I'm fine. And just feeling that his presence, like I, I, I do when I'm doing that solitude and silence. And thankfully, no homes were destroyed during that time. And um, a gift, unexpected gift, too, from all this was that I felt I was on vacation because we were at a hotel. And um, like our, our son Tyler said, this is an evacuation. And so I, I was really appreciative of being outside of the home. And uh, so with all these events, God was encouraging me with peace in the middle of a catastrophe, but he still knew day to day I had a lot of anxiety with the daily things on my mind. And many times I think I have this anxiety because I try to independently solve problems on my own and take it upon myself. In the Psalm 23 Bible study, Tony Evans commented, don't miss the emphasis on the word makes in verse 2 that says, he makes me lie down in green pastures. God forced David to be still and totally rely on him. Have you considered maybe God hasn't changed your difficult situation because he's waiting for you to relinquish your self-sufficiency and lie down? He's willing to keep you where you are until you've learned to rest in him. So I think that staying at home was a backdrop for me for God to make me lie down and rest with him. And so when I would pray, God knew when I wouldn't really give it to him because I still feel anxious. So he'd say, stay, stay here and wrestle with me and persevere until you get to my presence, until you get to my peace. And that's what was so different for me. Um, in another Bible study a couple years ago, Watermark, as you can tell, I attend a lot of these Bible studies. Um, we were doing a spiritual uh, inventory questionnaire. And my friend Bianca scored really, she scored high on the gift of faith. And I said to Bianca, I wish I had the gift of faith so I wouldn't worry as much as I do. And then she said, you know, Paula, when you grow in your boundaries, you will grow in your faith. And so the Bible study started about thinking about what she was saying. So right afterwards, I said, Bianca, can you unpack that for me? That sounds really good. And she said, when you understand your role and what you can do and understand what God can do, what his role is, your faith will increase. And so during this time, I realized that I have my limitations 
And I know what Marvel is, but God is so big. And his, my view of him has expanded. And I would rather put my cares safely in his hands than in my little sheep hooves. And so um, and I'm so thankful that he, he became bigger and I became smaller. And so now I um, have this pillow just to remind me um, of going to God. It says, pray about everything, worry about nothing. And it reminds me if I want God's peace, first I have to pray and stay with him until I get his peace and keep going back every day until I have that peace. If it comes, the worry comes back again to keep going back to him. And God is like, I want this to be addicting for you. And so that you'll spend less minutes in emotional anguish and more in my peace and my joy for you. And um, I often try to teach my kids things, but something very unintentional that happened unexpectedly um, is that uh, during many times when I'd be praying and crying, Tyler would be looking for me, and he'd find me, and he'd say, oh, don't bother mommy. She's in her solitude and silence. And um, with Amber, she learned the value of prayer, and, and she helped me create a prayer closet in my clothes closet. And um, she wrote the Lord's Prayer up there. And, um, and sometimes she'd ask me, Mommy, did you go in your closet today? And I don't know, maybe because she thought I was, like, kind of anxious that day. You, like, you better go in there today. I know it's good for you. And um, so I'm so thankful for this really emotional year that God also gave me support through my wonderful husband, my family, and cousins, and the online Watermark community. Thank you, Patrick and the Hardys, for keeping us connected, and my small group family. And um, most of all, I'm thankful for when I felt the most vulnerable, that this was the time that God showed me in the greatest way that he's my greatest security. And so um, in closing, I'd like to read Psalm 23, um, God's tender love for each of you and for the moms here who carry the burdens of their kids that God also has that tender love for you. So I'll close reading this in prayer. The Lord is my shepherd. I shall not want. He makes me lie down in green pastures. He leads me beside quiet waters. He restores my soul. He guides me in the paths of righteousness for his name's sake. Even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I fear no evil, for you are with me. Your rod and your staff, they comfort me. You prepare a table before me in the presence of my enemies. You have anointed my head with oil. My cup overflows. Surely goodness and loving kindness will follow me all the days of my life, and I will dwell in the house of the Lord forever. Amen. Um, I think you probably got what I was talking about earlier by now. I hope so. I think so. It's pretty clear. Thank you guys so much for sharing what you shared. Um, you may want to come back online and listen to the podcast later for, for if you, if you kind of missed it, whether it was just noise or just sometimes distractions floating in and out. But whether you're a man or woman in this room, you might want to go back and listen for the time that you feel like maybe you're struggling finding purpose in the daily mundane work of of interruptions and hands being reached out to you, whether you have kids or not. Maybe it's coworkers, maybe it's friends, roommates, constantly interrupting you. Why these interruptions? Well, maybe God's ordaining those interruptions. Maybe he's sending them your way. For you guys who have ever had pain or suffering, maybe in your own bodies, or maybe those you love, 
There was a message here, a profound message of refining fire. Ah, man, not a message from the world. You won't hear that message from the world. The world's project, especially in Orange County, is power, level up, and project that we have it all together. And yet we heard from Anna this articulate, amazingly biblical, thoroughly biblical idea that God comes to us in brokenness and in suffering and pain and crafts something so beautiful. And you heard from Paula this, this, this battle. I don't know if you got it all the way. I, I heard the early parts of it about six or seven months ago on a Zoom call, and I was brought to my knees in tears because I heard what she was saying. That on behalf of her husband, you know, we take these vows. I'm willing to serve my husband in sickness and in health. I'll do whatever. In the Bible, and Jesus says, the picture of marriage is what I did on the cross. I was willing to be crucified so that you could be protected and covered and loved. And Paula, to the, to the, to the point of her own mental health, did that for her husband and for her family. And she found Jesus even in that, that trial. And that suffering, she found Jesus. Jesus came to her. Every single one of us can find our stories and what these ladies shared today. And I hope you'll be able to draw from it and drink from it over the next weeks and months. And I just want to thank you guys. Give it up for these moms one more time. Thank you guys so much. You guys can be seated. We hope that this message has challenged and encouraged you. If you need prayer, would like to join a small group community, or are interested in partnering with our work throughout Costa Mesa and Orange County, please go to watermarkoc.com. We would love to start a conversation.